0: Greetings and salutations from the world of Page town called Dallas, Georgia. Alright, so let's get started. Um, Today is a, uh, we're going to read through the entire chapter, chapter 9, and we're going to read about uh, Jesus healing a blind man. Let me set it up, up to this point. Um, The Sanhedrin has declared their intentions, um, they're going to kill Jesus they uh they started their prosecution or building up of his of their case against him several chapters back and they're continuing on they will kill Jesus that is their goal that is their set intention um and Jesus continues to meet them face to face uh he doesn't back down from them and we're going to see some more of that here today So let's just get started. John chapter 9. This is where Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that was a common conception that if hardship was dealt to a person, if there was physical infirmity, that it was due to sin. And uh, either parents or that person had sinned. So they were asking, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Some of our hardships come from the fact that uh, God wants to, well, display his glory God wants to display his works um, personally it's hard to tell isn't it sometimes so here's my take on that you know is it is it God doing this or is this something that I've done um, I really don't spend I don't spend any time asking that question anymore Let me get this set up over here. Come on, you. Sorry, technology and me. We know the drill, right? There we go. Uh, Let's see. Here here we are. Yep. Let me type in my obligatory hello. Hello. Here we are. And here I go. All right, there we go. Let's back up. All right. Here we are. Say hello if you're there. Let me know you're there. All right, back up a second. All right. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he's born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. That just tells us that sometimes um, God allows something or God sends something in order to show the world something about himself. Now, that might seem cruel to some people, but the truth of the matter is God will show his glory. And my personal approach to this is if something bad happens to me, I examine my life. I examine to see if there's something I've done that was wrong or against God and his statutes and his principles. Uh, And if there is, I repent talk to God about it, see what I can do about fixing it. Um, But sometimes stuff just happens and it has nothing to do with you. I will say one time back uh, 2001, late 2001, early 2002, I had been let go from a very lucrative job and I invested all my money in a video production company. And it failed, it went belly up, it went bankrupt. It was just absolutely, um, well, I might as well climbed up to the top of the building in Atlanta and threw all my money into the wind for all the good it did me. And I went into bankruptcy and we went through a year of very lean times getting my feet back up under me, going to bankruptcy court, setting up bankruptcy payments, trying to figure out what in the world I'm going to do uh, for a living. And I realized that I was going through bankruptcy as a result of my sin. I remember praying once very uh, fervently during that period, asking God, when am I going to quit hurting? I've repented of this. I know what the problem is. When am I going to get over feeling all this guilt when I wake up in the morning. And I felt like God was telling me, it is one of the very few moments, times in my life where God's presence was so palpable in prayer. And it's like I heard him tell me, um, when did your father die? And my father had just died, like, weeks before, you know, in January of 2002. And I, and, I, and I told him, well, he died in January. He said, but, you know, he was dying for a long time. My dad had cancer. My dad had heart disease. My dad had had a series of small strokes. Uh, he had diabetes. I mean, he was dying a little bit each day for about the last five years of his life. He said, death is rarely instantaneous. And rarely painless. You're dying to the sin of foolishness with money. And it's going to hurt. But when I'm done, you will feel like I do about money. And God has been true to it, to that promise. But I went through a, a long period of time where every morning I would wake up feeling the sting of my sin. And I remember somebody coming up to me and said, Paige, hey, we're praying for you. We're praying that the enemy would quit his attacks on your life. And I stopped him and I said, I appreciate that. But that isn't the prayer you should be praying. I said, what happened to me is a result of my foolishness, my sin. Therefore, pray that I win my battle against this sin. It wasn't the enemy coming after me. It was Paige messing up and sinning in reaping the benefits of his sin, if you will. So, but he says here, this man man didn't sin, his parents didn't sin, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. night is coming when no one can work, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now imagine this. Imagine what that homecoming was like. He walked home, walked into his house, and his family saw the, man, the child now grown into a man who had been blind all his life, seeing. Can you imagine what that must have been like? His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, "No, nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus. Made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. I'm curious about this. Their response was to bring him to the Pharisees? Now we know the Pharisees are looking for a way to capture Jesus and to kill him. Had they scared the populace so much that these people's first thoughts was to bring him to the Pharisees? It wasn't talking about taking him to the temple where they could make an offering of rejoicing over the healing that God had done. They brought him to the Pharisees, the people who were trying to kill Jesus. Thought that was interesting. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud in my eyes, the man replied. I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. We've had that discussion before, haven't we? But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. "'What have you to say about him?' "'It was your eyes,' he opened. "'Finally, an intelligent question. "'The man replied, "'He's a prophet.' "'They still did not believe "'that he had been blind "'and had received his sight "'until they sent for the man's parents. "'Is this your son? "'Is this the one you say was born blind? "'How is it that he can now see?' "'Well, we know he's our son,' "'the parents answered.' And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. (sighs) Wow. That's why his parents said he's of age. Ask him. Religious leaders had scared their people to that degree. Isn't that amazing? A second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Hmm. Powerful testimony. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Remember that. I'm going to come back to that. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Now the man answered, now that is remarkable you don't know where he comes from yet he opened my eyes we know that god does not listen to sinners he listens to the godly person who does his will nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind if this man were not from god he could do nothing then they asked him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes they keep asking these same questions they're not looking for truth remember that we'll come back to that too he answered i've told you already you didn't listen oops I'm so, did i was on that was i on that one <laughs> looks like i there we go um the man answered it's remarkable you don't know where it comes from yet He opened my eyes i'm in verse 30 31 we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. One of the commentaries I read, that statement, and they threw him out me and meant that it's very possible that they excommunicated him because of his testimony. The man gets healed from a lifetime of blindness and he gets kicked out for praising the one who healed him. Isn't that amazing? All right, let's go to the next slide. I'll finish this chapter up. Jesus heard they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he says, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now, First of all, look at verse 40 here. Some Pharisees who were with him. In other words, there were Pharisees that were shadowing Jesus and his disciples. Gathering evidence, no doubt. Because, you know, they wanted to kill him. And they were gathering evidence to get as airtight a case as they possibly could. Um, So Pharisees were hanging on the fringes. listening to everything he said. But they weren't truth seekers. Their minds were already made up. They were just looking for words that he would say or things that he would do that would give them reason to have him arrested and killed. So, first of all, when did this event take place? Well, it was on the Sabbath again. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And we already knew from previous responses how the religious community was reacting to that. Apparently, you're not supposed to do good things on the Sabbath. Yet, in their own law and in their own uh, meanderings through the law and add-ons and and instructions, they'd come up with a myriad number of ways that they could do things on the Sabbath that wouldn't be considered work. And Jesus had already spoken to them in previous chapters saying, look, it's is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? So there's that. Now, let's go back here. Let's go back to the beginning. We've talked about the fact that the man didn't sin, that God had a purpose for this man's life, and that purpose involved his blindness. That's hard for some people to follow, uh, and it's hard for some people to understand, but sometimes our suffering is part of God's plan. Jesus' suffering. Was part of God's plan. Um, Paul the apostle later on in his one of his epistles would would write that God that that he had been he was being tormented in his health and he'd ask God for relief and God said no. Out of your weakness you'll be strong. So sometimes suffering is part of God's plan for us and that we should not be surprised because the truth is this world is not our world this world is not our home like that old hymn says we're just a passing through so don't be surprised when you come up against struggles sometimes the struggles are because you're you're banging heads with the enemy of this world and you're in a fight and in a struggle against Satan, the deceiver of our souls, sometimes you're suffering because God has deemed it so that his glory would be shown out. As I shared my story of going through bankruptcy, that moment in time, it was on me. I had sinned. I had broken many of God's I had broken many of God's rules and statutes. And as a result, I sowed the wind. I reaped the whirlwind. But there have been other times in my life where things have happened that were totally out of my control and not connected to anything I had done. We went through Hurricane Hugo and a tornado. That had nothing to do with the sin in my life. That, That trial had nothing to do with sin in my life. But it had everything to do with God showing me his power and his glory when he saved us from that. So, um, sometimes God does deliberately bring us through things. He took Israel through the Red Sea. Can you imagine how frightening that must have been? The walls of water on either side. That was not an easy experience. He took Noah and his family and the animals through the flood. He didn't take them out of it. He took them through it. They had to experience the horror. Think about this for a second. Noah had his ark probably up on stilts and in a frame holding it upright. Animals are on. He shut the door and all of a sudden the earth opens up. There's massive earthquakes. The sky unleashes its torrents and um, quite possibly a huge wall of water swept across the land. Think of what that must have been like. If I had been on that boat, I don't think I could have resisted looking out through a window to see if I could see what was happening. Imagine a huge wall of water sweeping down on that boat and you're Noah and you're wondering, I hope I built this right. Think about the earth shaking, the sky roaring, the wall of water sweeping down on you and snatching you up off the framework and bouncing you around. Think of the terror that would have been on that boat and yet God brought them through it God brings his people through things more often than he takes them out of things. So sometimes events and predicaments are directly related to God's direct and specific will. Sometimes the things that we experience are due to our sin. But in this case, the man's blindness was not attached to anybody's sin. God had a specific plan for this man's life, and apparently it included blindness. All right, so Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, and tells him to go wash his eyes, and he does. Then here's what happens. He goes home. His family is wigging out. He told them that the man they called Jesus made some mud. Now, this is the man they called Jesus. So Jesus already had a name, a reputation, all right? So they knew exactly who he's talking about. And they asked him, where's this man? He said he didn't know. So they take him to the Pharisees because apparently the Pharisees have put the word out, if you know anything about where this man is, what this man is doing or saying, you better come. If you don't work with us, we'll kick you out of the synagogue. That's pretty... That's pretty heavy-duty stuff. Um, He explained to them how he got healed. And the Pharisees said, some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But other Pharisees said, but how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So then they turned and asked, what do you want to say? It was your eyes he opened. And he came right up and said what the only thing he could think of. He's a prophet. They still didn't believe he'd been born blind. Go and got his parents. Parents were afraid to stand up for him. Because they were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue. So they just said, he's of age, ask him. And then... They ask him again, what did he do? How did he you open your eyes? Now, hmm. He said, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes from a man born blind. The man has to be from God. That was this man's conclusion. But look at this sentence up here, number 29. We know that God spoke to Moses, but this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. This is This is the part that stood out to me the most. And it might be due to my fascination with forensic type television shows where brilliant detectives using forensic evidence solve the most puzzling awe-inspiring crimes uh in the space of 48 minutes plus or minus a few commercials um, where they ask the right questions this is the only qu- the only question they can ask is they ask Jesus who are you and they ask him they ask this man who is he and uh, if they were truth seekers, they could have found the answers quite easily as to who he is. They could have found quite easily the evidence that would point to who he is, because you know Jesus' response to them up to now has been, "My works tell you who I am." He's healed the blind, he's healed the lame, made the lame to walk. Uh, he's healed lepers. Um, and then he he came right out and told them, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He identified himself with God's name. Basically saying before Abraham was, I am. I'm God. I'm eternal. So he was as plain to them as he was to the woman at the well, to Nicodemus. And you're and to this man here, because he later on tells this man that he's Messiah. He's as plain to the Pharisees as they as he was to these people. But yet, look at the different reactions. The woman at the well says he's Messiah. Andrew, Peter, uh, and John believe he's the Messiah. Um, Nicodemus, if he hasn't doesn't believe he's the Messiah yet, he soon will. But then when he's approached by these Pharisees, he tells them the same thing. He he tells them as straight up as he's told everybody else. And they don't believe him. That tells you these are not truth seekers. These are not keepers of the truth. These are not seekers of truth. These people are more interested in self-validation. They're not interested in finding the truth. Let's pretend. Let's do a little make-believe here. Let's pretend... That they really are interested, they really are interested in uh, finding the truth. Hmm. Where, let's say, Pharisees, they go find Mary, the mother of Jesus. Who better to talk to, right? Go right straight to the source. Pharisee could say, Where was Jesus born? Mary says, Bethlehem. But we moved to Egypt when he was two years old to escape the soldiers who were coming to kill children. Where did you escape to? Egypt. We came back to Nazareth after Herod died and have lived there ever since. Now there's a very specific, well-known messianic prophecy in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler of his, over Israel, whose origins are from old, of old, from ancient times. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, and they could have found out from Mary, he was born in Bethlehem. So when they say we don't even know where this fellow's from, that question could have been taken care of very quickly if they were truth seekers. And there's another prophecy that says, "Out of Egypt have I called my son." So they could see that, that Jesus fulfills both of these. He's from Bethlehem. He's out of Egypt. He's got all the birth requirements of Messiah. Now, granted, we have the privilege of twenty-twenty hindsight. We look back 2,000 years and we can see the truth because we see everything because we've got the whole book that we're reading and that we've read but if they were true truth seekers they would get away from this one question who are you he said he, nicodemus asked intelligent questions he didn't he truly did not understand how a man could be born again and he asked insightful questions and jesus responded him respectfully and with compassion. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, obviously not a biblical scholar, but she knew enough to know that the Messiah would answer all things, and she was waiting for Messiah to show up. It wasn't her fault that she was half Jewish, half non-Jewish blood. She still knew enough about God to know that a Messiah would come and explain everything. And Jesus responded to her respectfully with compassion she asked questions she just didn't she didn't accuse him when they asked jesus who are you or we don't even know where this fellow comes from when they say stuff like that they're showing their hand they're not interested in truth they're self-validators that's all they see jesus as a dangerous enemy to their power their position and to their control because if he is truly the Messiah they're in deep trouble because of the way they have lived their lives. So they're not they could have gotten to the information rather quickly. it wouldn't have taken uh, a team of forensic scientists to ferret out this information go find Mary's mo- go find Jesus's mother Mary, uh, talk to his brothers. They were alive. Um, So that's the one thing I think that probably gets me out of this whole story here was, again, they're not after him to discover the truth. They're after him to kill him because he is a problem to them. So what do I pull out of this story? Devotional, personal wise? There are some people you're going to meet in your life who are not going to be interested in what you have to say. That are not seekers of truth. There are going to be people that will confront you and have a predetermined agenda and hate you because you're a believer. Period. And they're seeking to argue They're seeking to debate. Nicodemus did not debate Jesus. The woman at the well did not debate Jesus. None of these people that Jesus has interacted with debated him except for the religious community. I'll close with this. I have a friend. Uh, I hope he's listening to this. His name is Michael. I count him as a dear friend. He was an atheist. But he was a truth seeker. still is a truth seeker. He was one of two honest uh, atheists that I've ever met. He was an atheist by conviction. He had examined the evidence. And at that point in his life, he saw no reason to believe that there was a God. And therefore, he didn't believe there was one. But he never stopped looking. And when we would talk, we would have these most wonderful conversations without Anger, without vitriol without without uh, any of that emotional baggage and trust me you don't want to get in a debate with this guy. Uh, his, he is so well read he is so informed he knows so much about so many things I believe he's got a doctorate in philosophy of all things. The man is a genius so if you're gonna uh, um, if you're gonna try to get in an argument with this guy, You're bringing a knife to a gunfight. But yet we never had any of those kind of discussions. I shared what I believed. I shared my life with him. We were friends. I enjoyed his company. He enjoyed mine. And a few years later, he would call me up and say, I can't be an atheist anymore. There's too much evidence to the contrary. You see, that's an example of of a truth seeker. Now, I've met other people who call themselves atheists. And they just fought. They were angry. And they just looked for opportunities to belittle, demean, or uh, discredit. They're not looking for truth. The Pharisees were not looking for truth. These Pharisees. And so you're going to run into people like that all the time. So I've learned, and I'm still learning, how to discern where somebody's coming from when they're talking to me about religious matters or or about spiritual matters. If they're a seeker... I give information. If they're not a seeker, if they're a, one of these self-validators that are just there to punish, demean, discredit, disclaim—you know, do all these things to you—and they don't have any any intention of changing their mind about anything, I don't waste much time on them. And it's easy to find out uh, who those people are. Uh, for me, it's been a matter of just um, if they keep circling around to the same questions again and, again and again and again and again and again. And they like these Pharisees do, you know, who are you? Where are you? We don't know where he's from. Just tell us plainly who you are. That's what these guys have said from the beginning. And Jesus tells them and he tells them and he tells them and he tells them and they fight back. Mm. We're going to run into people like that all the time. So, I hope you have a wonderful, fabulous day. I've got a a day ahead of me of teaching. I'm going to get off and get started at that. God's blessings to you and to yours. I'm out of here.